good things following us. Amen. Surely goodness and mercy. All right. How many of y'all like uh, fast preaching? Like short services, fast preaching? Y'all buckle up. I got a lot to say in a short time to say it. First, I want to say, man, it's good to have our friend Mr. Jeremy here. And I met Jeremy late one night in a hospital and his father. They thought that his father wasn't going to make it, but you know what? He did, and he had several good days after that, and so we're so thankful. So make sure uh, you get to know Jeremy. This is a friend of Chris's, and we're honored to have him here tonight, and so it just blessed my heart to see him when I walked in. I noticed he slipped in over there, and uh, it's good to see him, but I'll tell you what. His family was very kind to me. They didn't know me. They let me come right in there and pray with their father and pray with his dad. His dear, precious mom was standing there beside him, and I've uh, never forgotten that night, and uh, so uh, we're so very thankful. Uh, God gives peace, doesn't he? Uh, would you open your precious Bible tonight to 1 Samuel chapter 26? As you're opening it, also I want to remind you, uh, Brother Robert West can sure use your help this week. He needs a ride to a doctor's appointment on Hamill Road uh, on Thursday. So if anybody could do that, I know he would certainly appreciate it. I would do it, but not going to be here, so... If someone else could help us out there, uh, that sure would be a great blessing to him, all right? So please let him know, and if you would, don't make him uh, panic and wait till Wednesday night to call him. Let him know if you can, all right? And I know that'd be helpful. Uh, remember, I preached uh, on the whole chapter this morning on 1 Samuel chapter 26, and I didn't really entitle the message. I'm sure Chris put a good one up there. He usually does. But I, I thought maybe mercy again, that was my thought. Mercy again. He gave mercy again. But um, I want to just focus in on verse 21 tonight. It's the text. Now, I want you to remember, I read all of this this morning. So you know what happens. He goes down into the holler. He goes in there. Uh, Saul's asleep. And everything's crying out to kill Saul. Saul's been hunting him like a wild animal. And he says, no, I'm not going to do it. The Lord forbid me to do it. So he made choices that absolutely was in the will of God, and then he trusts God for the unknown. And so I believe the whole reason that he risked his life to do all of that was so he could speak to Saul and let him know that he loved him, he valued his life, and that he wanted to try to make amends with him. Now, I don't know if it, ta- if it really took, because you're going to have one more chapter of Saul, and then after chapter 28, Saul is killed. Now we do know, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about it, so we really are listening to Saul's last words to David. And so I have entitled this message, Saul's Epitaph, or Saul's Eulogy. In other words, if you go to a funeral and you hear someone uh, give a eulogy, that's going to summarize their life. If you go to the graveside and maybe you see someone's uh, name there and they might have a little epitaph there, that's really what is someone is saying, they're summarizing their life. Well, here's what's amazing. Saul summarized his own life and he yelled it out to a young man named David. I want you to notice in verse 21, then said Saul, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do thee harm because my soul was precious in thine eyes this day. Behold, I have played the fool. I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. This could also be how to play a fool. Playing a fool. But really, this is Saul's epitaph. How do we want to be remembered? 
What would we want our epitaph to read on our graveside? If you had a preacher or a family member stand and say their last words over you in a funeral, what would you want to be remembered for? Well, here's what's amazing. To put it another way, how would you sum your life up? How would your life be summed up? It ended, by the way, Saul's ended on a battlefield here in just a few days. His son is slain, laying at his feet, and he knows that his army has been routed and defeated and his life is taken as well. That's how Saul's life ended. And, and listen, I want you to know, here's how it ended. He played the fool. He played the fool. He said, I have played the fool. Now, Saul's reign began so full of promise. When they chose the king, they didn't choose someone that wasn't popular, wasn't skillful, wasn't a good man. They chose Saul. They said he was a head above everyone else. He was tall. He was a great warrior. No doubt he was godly. He seemed like a good man. And so his reign started out with promise. But instead of living a life of eternal significance, sadly, he died on a battlefield with his own words summing up his life, I have played the fool and I've erred exceedingly. What happened? In his own words, is he played a fool. Now, I've known many Christians. I've been in this thing for 20, going on 20, over 26 years. And been saved longer than that. I've been in church all my life. And I want you to know, I have watched young men, young women, people, people just getting saved. Their life is full of promise. They start out great. And I'm telling you what, but instead of living a life of eternal significance, they lead empty, meaningless lives because they have chosen to play the fool. Can I say that we must look to our own lives? Our decisions, our actions, Our response to our failures even determines whether we're going to play the fool and err exceedingly. Look, David is a perfect example. David was not perfect. David made many sinful decisions. He committed many sinful acts. I mean, is there anyone in here that's committed murder? David killed a man. He's going to. David committed adultery. David numbered the people. David did many things. He spoiled his child. The Bible said he wouldn't tell his children no. He failed, really. David failed as a parent. Can I say that it's not because... See, God said he's a man after my own heart. It's not because... He did not make mistakes. It was not because he did not sin. Listen to me. It was the way David responded to his failures. And so we see that we still, he still made and still have it remembered. And I want to just say this. Although Saul played the fool, we don't have to. And I want to remind you tonight, you might make mistakes and you might commit sin and you might make some really bad decisions. But I want to say tonight to you and to me and to whoever's listening, God, thank God he doesn't throw the clay away. 
So I want you, I want to look at Saul's life with me tonight and let's just look at three little simple things, how I believe that Saul played the fool and I want us to examine our lives and make sure we're not playing the fool as well. So can I say, let me give you several examples. They're all right here in the text. Number one, we play the fool when we neglect godly counsel. Get it down. Get it down on a piece of paper, but more important than writing it down on a piece of paper, get it in the fleshly tablet of your heart. Now, here's what I'm saying. Samuel was the prophet. In the next chapter, Samuel dies. But Samuel was the man of God. Samuel was the one that went and anointed David. Samuel was the one that gave all of the instruction to King Saul. He was available. But I want you to notice Saul, the king of Israel, Samuel was available at any time to give wisdom and counsel to Saul. But instead of seeking that godly counsel from Samuel, it seemed like he went everywhere else. Yet Samuel was available. Can I say that if you read these chapters in 1 Samuel that contain Saul's life, you get the idea that he's trying to avoid Samuel. Now, this makes sense to me. <laughs> now, can I be a little personal with you and maybe be a little funny? Because it's got to be funny a little bit. I realize that I'm not always sought for. There's been many times in my life that I, I think, well, maybe so-and-so is avoiding me. Well, there's no think to it. And why would someone avoid me? I'm going to tell you why. The same reason Saul avoided Samuel. He already knew what Samuel was going to tell him. And he didn't want to hear it. Can I give you a little funny illustration? If I heard of a man one time having physical problems. And so he went to the doc. And the doc just said, hey, listen, I want to tell you something. You need to quit eating all of those fatty foods. You need to quit eating carbs. You need to quit eating all of those sugar. Your sugar is way out of whack. You're in trouble. You're going to become a diabetic. And I'm telling you right now, you need to quit all that. I'm the doctor, and I'm telling you that's what you need to do. So he told his friend all of this, and the friend looked at him and said, Well, what are you going to do? He says, Well, I'm going to go find me another doctor. Isn't that just like us? Why would he want to go find another? He said, I think I'll have a second opinion. Why? Just like this person in this illustration, we avoid those that we know are going to tell us what we don't want to hear. It's going to tell us something that we don't want to hear. We don't want to be around those who are going to call out our actions and say, you're wrong. But by the way, if someone does you that way, it should be out of love. Who are going to hold? We, we understand why he wasn't seeking the counsel of, of, of Prophet Samuel because Samuel's going to keep him accountable. Can I say for his actions? By the way, he did. We're going to look at those in a minute. But can I just say, you want to play the fool? It's this simple. Every young person here, listen to me. You want to play a fool? Then you neglect godly counsel. You neglect it. You'll be a fool. You're playing the fool. The Bible tells us that in the counsel, in the multitude of counsel, is wisdom. So can I say, just like this person that didn't want, didn't want to hear what that doctor said, I'm going to go find somebody else. Lo, we need to hear what we need to hear. We need to hear the truth. Amen. He played the fool. Who's going to challenge us to lead godly, lead godly lives? I mean, I, I wonder, who in your life challenges you to lead a godly life? 
I want you to think about that. Can we read, can I read just one, can I read Psalm 1 to you real quick? I found out something as I was studying this passage. I want to just read the first verse in Psalm 1. Notice what the Bible says. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. The counsel of the ungodly. The Bible says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Do you know that there's counsel out there that is ungodly? And the Bible says, blessed is the man that walketh not. What does the word blessed means? Happy. And then we wonder why so many of us, so many Christians, so many people in this world are not happy. Because they are listening and following ungodly counsel. So they're certainly not blessed. See, when we take the counsel of the ungodly right there in this verse, we're neglecting the fear of worship of God. We're violating His commandments. Look, sinful, contrary to the divine uh, commands of God. We're polluted by wickedness. All of that is found right there in Psalm 1 just by listening to the counsel of the ungodly. Can I ask you all a question? The closest people in your life, do they... Being around them, do they make you want to be closer to Jesus? It's a good question. That's a good question. I tell you right now, we wouldn't be reading this the way it read. I have played the fool if Saul would have listened to Samuel. If he would have sought Samuel's counsel and done what Samuel was instructing him to do, by the word of the Lord, he wouldn't be giving this epitaph tonight saying, I have played a fool and I have erred exceedingly. You say, Pastor, I don't want to play the fool. Well, then you've got some good godly people in your life. Be humble enough to hear them. You have resources in your life. Some of these younger people, some of these older ladies, they can help some of you younger ladies. Be humble enough to listen. Realize that they might not have done exactly the way you do. And by the way, I want to say to all of you younger ladies, these older women know how to raise kids. They know how to feed a baby. We live today now, oh, you can't do that. Well, my goodness, look here. I was born eating table food as quick as I could get there. Somebody say amen. Amen. They'll be all right. I'm telling you right now, uh, we think some of these gray-haired ladies, you know, oh, they're out of touch. They don't know what they're doing. I'm telling you right now, I've been around some of these ladies. They know what they're doing. Don't. Hear and listen to counsel. You know, I am 49. I just turned 49 years of age. And you know what I do? I listen. I want to learn. There's people in this church that teaches me something. Y'all know what's crazy? These children teach me things. If we'll listen, we'll learn. And listen, we ought to seek out good counsel. You want to play a fool? Then just ignore and not use the resources that God has put in your life. That's what Saul did. He would not listen to Samuel. Number two, quickly, he played the fool when he disobeyed God in small matters. We play the fool when we disobey God in small matters. Now, if you'll, you'll find a surprising fact when you look at the life of Saul. One thing is I've studied this, and by the way, I had to get off of looking at David for this message. I had to look at Saul, and I went back all the way through the chapters. Chapter 13, chapter 15, chapter 17, I've looked and read everything about Saul. And here's what's amazing to me. You'll find a surprising fact when you look at the life of Saul that his disobedience started out small and progressively got worse. He started disobeying the small things. And guess what? There is no small things because small things lead to big things. You'll find, 
let's just point case. Chapter 13, what happened? That's when his kingdom of his kingship was already taken from him. What did he do, pastor? Two things. Small. He went to war without asking God about it first. And then because his army was dissenting from him and they were rebelling against him and wouldn't fight, he went out, gathered them up, and then he did a sacrifice that he should have never have done because the law of God said if you're not a Levite, do not do that. And he did it without Samuel present. And when Samuel showed up, he told Saul, the God that you've defied today has taken your kingdom from you. Now here's what's amazing. That was just one little rule. That was just one little thing that Saul just disobeyed. And I guarantee you, he was just like most people I've talked to today. Oh, pastor, that ain't that big of a deal. God ain't going to mind if we don't do it quite like that. No, he minds. It cost him the kingdom. He disobeyed in the little thing. By the way, can I just say this? When you start minimizing the little things, you get ready because you're getting ready to start minimizing some big things. Saul did it. Chapter 13. It's a small rule, God. Samuel wasn't around and I had to make a sacrifice and so I did it. So he, in his mind, rationalized it away and said, oh, God's not going to matter. The sacrifice is important. No, what was important was God's word. God told him right then, chapter, in chapter 13, he said, kingdom. He said, I've found me a man after my own heart. Then if you keep going, he he minimizes small commands of God. And by the way, that's prevalent today because we live in a time now where everybody wants to minimize these little things, say they're not that big of a deal. But I'm going to tell you, y'all mark her down. You minimize the little things, you're going to start minimizing bigger things. Can I get a witness? Chapter 15. We see him again. Now he goes and tells him to go fight the Malachites. He says, I don't want you to leave anything. I don't want you to bring anything back. I don't want you to bring any loot. I don't want you to save any of the the animals. He said, I want them all destroyed. So Samuel shows up after it's done, about that time. He said, have you done as the Lord commanded? And Saul said, yes, we've done it all about that time. (laughs) The sheep that gave him up. Samuel said, well, why do I hear the name of the sheep? Saul tried to lie. And here here, here was a good cover-up. Y'all ready? Here's what Saul said to Samuel. Well, uh, we wanted to bring the best back for the Lord to give a sacrifice. You know what? He wouldn't own it. He wouldn't own it. He t- then he tried. That's one of the most spiritual con jobs I've ever heard. Here's what they said. Oh, well, Lord, I thought see, you told us to not to bring anything back, but we thought that we would bring the best back so we could sacrifice it to you. See, these are small things. But that got bigger. Can I say, chapter 17, here's what's amazing. Saul continued to try to kill David. He wanted to be a murderer. He started out with just breaking a little rule and saying, oh, well, Samuel's not around, so I'm going to give a sacrifice. I'm not a Levite, but I don't think God will mind. He disobeyed in a little thing. Then he, did, he went to war. He didn't ask God for any help. He didn't ask God if it's what he should do. He didn't commune with the Lord. Little things. 
And then he goes out and he defeats the Malachites. God gives them a great victory. And God tells them specifically not to bring anything back. And so he says, oh no, we've got to bring this back because we're going to sacrifice it. So he disobeyed again in a greater matter. Now he's a murderer. And then in the next chapter he goes out and finds someone that can raise the dead and tries to commune with the dead and does. Can I say, see the pattern? Disobedient in small matters always leads to disobedience in great matters. And so, listen to me, there's no little matters. They all matter. Your decisions matter. Your disobedience, my disobedience, it matters. We start, here's why. Because what we do is we start justifying it in our minds. And we start saying, oh, that's not a big deal. What we do is we justify it in our minds, and then it just makes it easier for us to do it. And then the next thing you know, we're doing things that we never dreamed we would do. You asked me, if you asked me, if said, do you think Saul would have ever thought he was going to try to spend the rest of his adult life trying to kill a man that he was jealous of? I'd have said, you're crazy. No, he wouldn't do that. Because he was disobedient in the small matters, you see the pattern he started in greater matters. God help us. He said, Pastor, are you immune? Nope, sure not. Neither are you. I got heartbreaking news just the other day about another pastor. Heartbreaking. Listen to me. I want you to know something. There's no one that is immune to our flesh. And when we start justifying the little things in our minds, get ready, we're getting ready to start justifying greater things in our minds. Mm -hmm. Now here's another thought that I want to leave you with. Just think if Saul would have responded different. Because listen to me, David was no different than Saul in the fact that he made mistakes. David sinned. So why was David a man after God's own heart? Why was that? Because of the core of who David was. Every time David got caught, every time David did something wrong, he not only realized he did it, listen to me, he changed and repented. See, it's one thing for you to understand and realize you've done something wrong or you're doing something wrong. It's a whole other ball game to stop doing it. I thought I'd get a Amen right there. We can say all day long, oh, I know that's wrong. Well, it really doesn't do any good if we don't. Saul knew it was wrong. It didn't change him. He didn't change it. He didn't stop it. David repented every time. For instance, when David later on gets caught, Nathan points his finger and says, you're the man. Read Psalm 51 and tell me he didn't make a change. Totally different than what Saul did. Here's what Saul said. Oh, well, I disobeyed the Lord because I was bringing back the best because we were going to offer to the Lord. Hogwash. They were bringing back the best to keep. He lied to the prophet. He lied to the man of God. No, listen, that's why, that's why. Think though if Saul would have said to the Lord, Lord, I've sinned. And he truly was repentive and truly changed. Look, he wouldn't be here. Can I just say this? You're going to mess up. You're going to fail. You're going to fall. But the way you respond to that is so very important. Don't play the fool by disobeying God in the little things and continuing the great things and never stop it.
See, God wants the best for us. And by the way, God's not withholding from us. He wants the best. Someone might say, Pastor, you don't understand. I keep messing up. Okay, then stop it. Ask God to help you. Be obedient in the little things. By the way, I've heard Laura say this time and time again in the last couple of months. You really who you are when nobody else is looking. Do I really want to get to know who you are when no one else is around? That's who you are. That's your heart. That's your character. That's the core of who you are. So, well, Pastor, if we're left to ourselves, we'll make a mess. Well, we can, but that's why we have to live and walk in the Spirit of God and live in the presence of the Lord. It's conscious decision that we obey the Lord. We have a choice. We either obey or disobey. It's that simple. And what we like to do is we love to rationalize, oh, that's not that big of a deal. But listen, we see in Saul's life he played the fool because he disobeyed in small matters which led to greater matters. Number three, and I'm going to close. He played the fool and we play the fool when we allow negative emotions to take over our lives. We see them right here in Saul's life. Negative emotions. I want everybody to listen. I'm going to close, but this is important stuff. Y'all can help somebody with this tonight, and God can help us tonight. What was some of the negative emotions that, was, that Saul let overtake his life? Well, number one was jealousy. He got jealous over David, and that... And he got jealous because David killed Goliath, something that Saul should have done, but he didn't. And so so David killed Goliath, and from that point on, God told us in his word that he eyed David from that point and wanted to kill him. He heard the songs, so he allowed jealousy. And by the way, look at me here. There's not one person in this building tonight that's not exempt from getting jealousy and letting it eat you up. And I'm going to tell you something right now. When you start letting that emotion ruin and run your life, it will ruin, run and rule your life. It will ruin your life. Then that jealousy, not only did he let jealousy, then the Bible used the word anger. Saul became so angry, the Bible says that he was with anger. He burned with anger. You know, there are some people, they are so angry all the time. They're just burning up with it. You get around them, you can't hear a kind word. You can't hear anything positive. I mean, they're angry about everything. And they're burning up. That is a very, very dangerous emotion to allow to dictate our lives. Anger. He's so burned with anger. It motivated him to hunt David down like an animal. What's another one? He became a paranoid. I mean, he was paranoid. He said, well, what else is David going to do but take the kingdom? I mean, he had become paranoia. Do y'all know people who's paranoia? Here's the kind of people I'm talking about. Two people are talking in the back, and one person's up here, and they're looking. Who's talking about me? You say, oh, pastor, it don't happen. Well, I've seen it many a times. Well, I know you and -and so-and-so was back there talking about. No, we weren't. We were talking about tree stands. But man, y'all know people that's paranoid. Saul became paranoid. And man, when people start getting angry, they start getting jealous, then they become paranoid, and they start letting these negative emotions dictate their life. Here's the last one. He became bitter. 
He was just ate up with it, man. I mean, he was so full of bitterness over the situations of life. He was so bitter because David was getting his song sung, and he was so bitter. He said, man, David is uh, right with the Lord, and David's doing this, and David's doing that, and he became bitter. And here's what Saul didn't even realize. He didn't even realize the blessings that God had given him. See, bitter people don't recognize the blessings. They only want to talk about the bad stuff. So in chapter 26, after godly David had once again spared ungodly Saul's life, Saul had a moment, and here's what he said. He realized, David, I have played the fool. He said, jealousy and anger and bitterness has absolutely ruled my life. And he said, I have erred exceedingly. But again, I... Wish I could say I close. I, I realizing I don't know if it changed him. Now we do know he never chased David again. But to be fair, he didn't have time to. But I'm going to be honest with you. I believe him. He said, "I will do no harm to thee." This is the first time that he talked to David like this. So whatever David said, it got to him. But I know one thing didn't change. The very next chapter, he goes to Endor. And he communes with, goes to a witch, and he says, I need to speak to Samuel. And she brings Samuel up. And he communes with him. Oh, that's not wise. That's not spiritual, right? Now, here's what's amazing he had him there for all those years and never wanted to talk to him. That's right. right. He avoided him like the plague. Now that he's gone, and by the way, here's what's going to happen be careful, parents. Knocking down your pastor, your Sunday school teacher, and your leaders. They might not need them then, but when they get older, they might need their counsel, and you've destroyed the counsel for them to give them. They might not need them now, but somewhere down the road, there might be a need. And you better be very, very careful how you talk about authority in your children's life. See, Samuel didn't need, he didn't need Samuel when he really needed. He went to him after, and he had him there all along. Let me just say this. This last one is a killer. I know many of Christians that have played the fool and they are playing the fool because of this last one will get you. Allowing your mind to run rampant with negative thoughts. It will destroy you. I know people right now that it is destroying their life because they will not take every thought into captivity. And here's what they tell me. Well, I just can't help it. Yes, you can. You say, well, pastor, can I do it just because you say I can't? No, I have Bible for it. You say, well, I can't just quit thinking about that. Yes, you can. And yes, you should. Can I give you a verse? And all of us need to hang on it because every time someone gives you a reason and a reason that you can set and dwell on the negative, let me tell you what God says. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Here it is. And bringing into captivity Every thought to the obedience of Christ. What does that word imagination mean there? You know what that means? That means someone has imagined their life that they have no hope. 
People that are always depressed and discouraged, there's never victory. It doesn't matter what you tell them, they've already got it in their mind that they're defeated. They've already imagined that there's no hope, there's no change, nothing's going to happen. And so what they do is they dwell on the negative thoughts. But God says, stop giving those imaginations. And when your mind starts, those thoughts start to creep into your mind, what are we to do? Take into captivity. It's a, it's a war term. You get aggressive with it and you kill it. Stop dwelling on it. Get it out of your mind. If it cannot be controlled, give it to the Lord. We sit there and we dwell on that stuff and we're not getting aggressive with our thought processes. It says, bringing into every thought into captivity. If it's not in obedience to Christ, you get it out of there. That's your choice. That's my choice. If you sit and dwell on things, that is not God's fault. It's ours. Oh, but I've heard it a thousand times. But pastor, I just can't help it. That's a lie. You can and so can I. We make God a liar if we say we can't help it. He just told us the victory. Quit imagining things and stop saying there's no hope because that's an imagination. That's what you've come up with. That's what I've come up with. I've heard it so many times. Well, it don't matter because so-and-so ain't going to change. You don't know that. Well, I'll tell you right now, the situation in America is not going to change. You don't know that. That's an imagination that we sit and dwell on. And then what happens? We get defeated. And then all we do is we let our mind just run around. Well, there ain't no use anyway. We're going to lose. It don't matter. It don't matter. See, that's how the mind works. God says when those thoughts come in, what's the Bible say? Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And then I close. For anybody that says, oh, pastor, I can't. I just can't stop what I'm thinking. That's not true. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 says this. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So if they don't line up with this prescription, quit thinking on them. If it's not good, why are you going to sit there and dwell on it? If it's not true, quit dwelling on it. Quit thinking on it. God says if it doesn't line up with being just, true, pure, a good report. That's why gossip is so bad. People want to sit around and talk about the bad all the time. God says if it doesn't have a good report to it, quit thinking on it. What's it do? Controls our mind. Do y'all know where the greatest warfare is in the Christian life? It ain't here. It ain't here. It ain't here. I'm going to tell you, it's right here. And God gives us the victory. Stop thinking on it. If it doesn't line up, everybody needs to take their pen out right now. And you need to write Proverbs or Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. And that needs to be your prescription every day. Some of you need to call somebody you love that's sitting there dwelling on all the negative and give them Philippians 4, 8 and say, dwell on this a while. If it's not good, if it's not true, if it's not just, if it's not honest, if it's not of a good report, stop thinking about it. Amen? Because I can promise you this right now, there ain't nobody going to be so discouraged if they start dwelling on the promises of God. He played the fool. 
Why? He let all of these negative emotions dictate his life. Are we all prone to get discouraged and depressed? Look at me. Yes. Am I going to say to you tonight that it's a sin for you to get depressed? I'm not going to say that, but I'm going to tell you this. It is for you to stay in it. Because I believe the Lord Jesus Christ in his physical body in the Garden of Gethsemane, I think he was depressed. But he didn't stay there. But I'm going to tell you what. You know what Saul was? Saul was depressed. Saul allowed all of these negative emotions control and dictate his life. And here's what he said. Here's his epitaph. I have played the fool. God help us. Y'all want to play the fool? When the preacher stands over you and gives the eulogy or gives the message or gives the testimony about your life, what would they say? He said it in his own words. I've played the fool and I've erred exceedingly. God help us. Let's stand to our feet tonight and I'm going to ask Micah and Eden to come up. Brother Mike and Eden, if they wouldn't mind. We're going to have prayer for these precious folks. But before we do that, I'm going to ask, how many of you say, Pastor Mark, the Lord spoke to me tonight and helped me with something. Say amen. How many of you know somebody that you think would be helpful if they heard that message? Y'all know somebody like that? Well, get them online and tell them where to get on and listen to it. You say, why? Why? We want to help people, don't we? Yeah. Are all of us prone to get discouraged and err exceedingly? Yes, but we don't have to. Let's listen to godly counsel in our lives. Let's obey in the small matters and let's not allow negative emotions to dictate.